Welcome to Southern Salon, a podcast about culture and communication. I'm Amy Clark Spain. And I'm Brittany Robinson. And we're glad you're with us. So this is episode four, and we're talking about, I guess, a crisis of faith. We are, and we're doing this completely unscripted, which could be very dangerous. <laughs> but also, I think, for this topic is probably the most important thing to do. Uh, we're going to allow you kind of a chance to step inside of what a conversation in our office might sound like and really just kind of show you where our hearts are about this topic. And Amy and I have both got some personal experiences I think we're going to draw from and kind of talk about in terms of you know, how it's shaped us, maybe made us a little crazy, um, and then kind of brought us together and, and, and hope that you can draw something from that positive. So. Mm-hmm. And we, when we met this morning, we really, we didn't know yet what we were podcasting, <laughs> and we immediately started to talking to each other like we normally do about, well, how are you feeling today? How, what are you, what are you thinking about today? And it brought us to this. Absolutely. So I think that was a sign. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody goes through a crisis of faith, and I'm thinking about how we should define that. I, I guess for me, it's experiencing something that makes you question certainty. Mm-hmm. I guess that's that's how I feel about it. I would think so. And I think it also, for me too, I think it makes you put a lot of other things into perspective. Um, when you're experiencing, quote, unquote, that crisis of faith, it, it, it helps you, or I guess it forces you to really think about all the other things going on in your life and, and the level of priority and the level of thought that you give those things. Um, that was something that I, I experienced personally. So I know Amy and I are both going to share um, a little bit of our story. Not Maybe Amy, if you wanted to go first and no. just kind of touch base on where your story began. Yeah, well, I guess, too, I should say that when we talk about faith, we're both Christians. Mm-hmm. We both believe in, in God. And, and we know that there are people who are going to be listening to this who may believe in different things. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that. I think faith for anybody, I think everybody has some degree of faith in something. Yeah. So that's our point of reference when yeah. we talk about faith. And, you know, I was raised in church, and I was raised as a believer, and I always have been. Mm-hmm. That's been a, an anchor for me yeah. for everything. And it was really tested, though, five years ago. I was I went for a routine doctor's appointment, and, um, and they found my mammogram came back with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And I had always been afraid of that because my great-grandmother had it and my grandmother, and I watched them go through it, and they both survived it. Mm-hmm. They're very strong women, and they survived it. But it was still a shock. I remember getting that phone call right before Easter. It was right before April Fool's Day when I got the phone call. And I think I was just numb for a while. Mm-hmm. It, didn't, it didn't really sink in. And when you find out you have cancer, it is such a convoluted process. You start hearing one thing, and then it changes with the next test, and then it changes with the next test. And so you're never really sure until you have surgery, and they can look in there and see what's going on. You're never really sure where you stand. So the first thing that I did was the biopsy, of course, and then I decided, Brian and I decided that I would go to UVA um, for the next step because we wanted to be at a research hospital and I know that you've you've which this is just kind of gives me chills to hear her say that because that's the exact process that led us there and in my story that I'll share later but Amy was the root of that for both of us yeah so we went to UVA and we consulted with their doctors and their oncologists and they said you know we recommend surgery let's get it out but uh, the oncologist was who scared me he said you know your tumor 
is stage two, Mm -hmm. which is not, you know, that's not just barely into stage two from stage one. And that's Mm -hmm. early and that's treatable and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, in your mind, everything's okay. He said that tumor showed a really aggressive kind of cancer. Mm -hmm. So he said, we're going to recommend chemotherapy as your treatment. That threw me. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting that. My grandmother, not my great-grandmother, but my grandmother had been through chemo, but it was not the kind of chemo like you sit in a place Mm -hmm. and you get infusions. It didn't make her hair fall out or anything. I think that uh, things took a turn for me mentally. Mm -hmm. And so we came back. We had, I had surgery. I had uh, surgery to remove the tumor and some reconstruction. And I had to let that heal. Mm -hmm. And then I started, I believe it was in July, of 2015 I started my chemotherapy in in Norton and that's an hours long process you go sit in a chair and they they put a port in your chest and they put the IV in and you sit there for three to four hours and then you go home and you recover and two weeks later you do it again Mm -hmm. so it was the cycle of you know illness and recovery illness and recovery Mm -hmm. my lowest point you know, when they when they did the surgery and they came back and said it's not in your lymph nodes, mm-hmm. I knew that I was pretty much in the free and clear. Mm-hmm. Because when it's in your lymph nodes, it becomes a more complicated issue. But I hit my lowest point probably right after Thanksgiving because my hair had fallen out. Brian had to shave my head. And then my eyelashes and eyebrows fell out. So losing your hair is one thing. Right. But if you don't have your eyelashes and eyebrows, <laughs> you really, really do look like you're sick. Yeah. And that was very, very hard. I, I had a lot of conversations with myself about vanity. Mm-hmm. You know, like I took that for granted mm-hmm. and I will never take that for granted again. But as far as faith, you know, I, I couldn't go to church with Brian and the kids and I didn't go for the duration of my treatment. And there were several reasons for that. I didn't want to mm-hmm. shake hands with people and be around people exactly. in case they were sick because your immune system's low. I didn't want to be seen yeah. because there was, I couldn't do anything to make myself look yeah. the way I wanted to look. But I also, I was just really scared. Yeah. I was really scared. And I talked to my pastor about that, and he prayed with me. And when you're faced with your mortality, um, there's this sudden thing like, oh, wait, what if? Yeah. You know, what if I'm wrong? What if everybody's wrong? Yeah. What if What if God's <laughs> not really there? You know, and, yeah. it, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound, it may sound morbid, and I don't mean for it to, but it was such a great peace and such. And this is why I believe in prayer because I was praying one morning. I sat, Brian and the kids would go to church, and I would sit out on the patio and have my devotions while they were at church, and I would pray and I would write in my journal. I remember praying, you know, give me a sign or tell me something because I'm scared, even though this is supposed to be okay. I remember the oncologist saying, if it comes back, this aggressive cancer, if it comes back, it will be much harder for us to fight it. Mm -hmm. And that will never leave me for the rest of my life. But I said, please give me something, give me something. And sometimes, you know, Anne Lamont's one of my favorite authors, and she's got a book called Help, Thanks, Wow. And she says, sometimes all you can pray is help or thanks. That's all, that's a prayer. And she (laughs) said, sometimes that's all you can say. And this voice, I swear these words came to me. They were not mine. They were not mine. I feel like God said, why are you worried about this? Because no matter what happens, you're either with your kids and Brian or you're with me. And you can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. And that gave me so much peace. And I still think about that. I have never felt about death anymore 
since that day, I've not been afraid anymore. And so I don't know that that would give somebody else peace, but it, it did that for me. And I did make a full recovery, and if there are any breast cancer survivors out there or people going through that, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. All I wanted to do was talk to people who'd been through it and and were through it. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to people, and I did. I called. That was part of my process. I called everybody I knew who'd had breast cancer and was on the other side of it, and I, I said, I want to know your reality of your pain, your nausea, and then the recovery. I want to know the reality. I want to know what I'm facing. And so I went into research mode, yeah. and that helped a lot too. I guess I had to forgive myself mm-hmm. for feeling, because that was another layer of guilt, feeling like God was going to be disappointed in me mm-hmm. for even doubting that everything was going to be okay. But when you have kids, and this is a segue into your story, mm-hmm. when you have kids, that's a game changer. You're not just talking about yourself. You're visualizing those children and how they're going to be affected. Mm-hmm. That's all I could think about was Brian and the kids, Brian and the kids, Brian and the kids. And um, it can really work on your mind. So I think for me, the answer was calling people and talking to people, getting involved in a support group. I did that mm-hmm. of survivors. That mm-hmm. was very, very helpful. And then just praying through the doubt. I really, I stayed in the book of Hebrews because mm-hmm. the book of Hebrews talks a lot about people like Abraham, you know, their faith was so strong, they did it anyway, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. And my brother suggested that I read the book of Hebrews, and I did, and I still have it marked. So that's my story. That's, that's where I was. And I'm not saying that now I'm perfect. I still, I feel like I've I've been going through another one. It's just it happens, and we have to we have to remember that we're human. Mm-hmm. And being a believer doesn't mean being perfect. No, and God doesn't. knows that. You know, I agree, and I think that's that is so. Which, by the way, you can't see Amy sitting here, but I know she mentioned if there's anyone else out there going through that, um, I think you should see Amy because she looks better than she ever has, <laughs> and I mean that in the nicest way. Thank she you. looks incredible, and she. You know, she looks like the picture of health, and so I think that's a testament to what she said and how she feels. Um, you know, and I, I have a, a similar situation, but with a different perspective and, and kind of touching on what Amy said about, you know, when kids are involved. I think that that is a game changer because not only, you know, I know for me personally, the first thought is not myself. And maybe shame on us moms for being that way, but first thought is usually your kids. You know, and I try to remember when I think about even self-care with myself. You know, you've heard, um, I guess it's when you ride an airplane and they say, you know, if the oxygen mask drops, put it on yourself first, moms, Mm -hmm. before you put it on your kids. Because you're no good to your kids if you don't have it on yourself. And so, you know, I think sometimes it's okay to to think about ourselves and, and to, you know, take care of ourselves and that's kind of a a little Brittany tangent that I went off on um but anyway so I have three kids and my youngest son is adopted from foster care and when we got him he had some health injuries that we weren't quite sure um if he would overcome some I guess you could say injuries from abuse and you know we held him like a little clay jar for you know a year and went to countless therapists and doctors and specialists and you know, really, he just made tremendous progress. I mean, he, he had um, a skull fracture, and he had, um, you know, over 20 broken ribs and some bleeding on his brain. And really, 
the prognosis when we first got him was, you know, maybe several palsy. He's going to, because he was two months old at the time. So we anticipated a lot of medical issues. And by the grace of God, like he literally overcame each and every one of those injuries and really kind of the side effects that we've noticed from those. So, you know, he had a hard time maybe focusing on with his eyes when we got him. And, you know, there was some delays that we noticed. But fast forward three years and he's met every milestone. We don't see any delays at this point. I mean, he's doing phenomenal, all things considered. So just as we had gotten settled in, um, we had just been able to adopt him, just finished our last occupational therapy. So we had been released from every type of therapy except for speech therapy really feeling confident about the the future for him. In the summer of 2018, he contracted E. coli 0157, which is a strand of E. coli that can be deadly depending on who it it affects. And we're not really quite sure where he picked it up, though we feel pretty confident it may have came from a lake because it's transmitted through feces and there were a lot of ducks. I took the, we took the kids to a local state park. We've never been to a lake before in our lives. We took them for the first time and there were a lot of ducks nearby. We feel pretty confident that that's where he got it from. But anyway, he got sick shortly thereafter, started vomiting and, and had some diarrhea and things like that and took him to the doctor for three or four days and we saw no progress. And So they admitted him to the hospital, watched him overnight for one day, and they basically said he's nosediving at this point. And he developed something called hemolytic uremic syndrome, which is a disease or an illness that causes your red blood cells, and I want to make sure I'm saying this right, that it causes your red blood cells to disintegrate and kind of die, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so his his blood count was going way down, um, but ultimately it clogs your kidneys and causes kidney failure. And so that was the big problem, is that he, he was going into kidney failure. And so they med-flighted him from um, Johnson City, from the Children's Hospital, up to UVA. And ironically enough, we had an option while we were sitting there making plans to transfer him about which hospital to go to. And all I could think about was Amy saying, UVA, UVA, UVA. So uh, we asked to go to UVA, and we would spend 21 days or 24 days. I can't remember. I can't remember which one I'm counting. I think it was 21 days at uh, UVA Children's Hospital with half of that time in the pediatric ICU. He was on peritoneal dialysis, which acts as a filter for your kidneys. So if you're not peeing, your body gets poisoned by all the stuff that your that your kidneys are not filtering out. So dialysis, peritoneal dialysis, acts as an artificial kidney, and it pumps fluid into your body and then removes fluid that draws in out the toxins with it. So he contracted a couple of infections while we were there, and there were you know he had a couple of surgeries, a couple of transfusions, and and things on multiple occasions looked very grim. It's, it was funny, in a way, because we had just spent the later part of the last year and a half, like, on our hands and knees, praying, you know, to get him. We, you know, we got him as a two-month-old in foster care and prayed for a, a solid year that we would get to keep him. And then, you know, here we finally got off the floor, got off our knees, and then we were we found ourselves right back in him only a few months later. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat as Amy. I have a wonderful church family, raised in a Christian home. I'm a believer. You know, it's so funny. I often think about this in my relationship with my husband because we have two very different lives as far as where how we grew up and you know really two different testimonies and he he has an incredible testimony of overcoming so much and 
he has that moment where he really committed himself to, to the Lord and, and you know, he's got this great story that comes with it. And I always feel like my testimony compared to his is kinda <laughs> meh, you know, like I went to church, you know, I got saved when I was a little girl, you know, I just always felt like I didn't have a whole lot to offer and bring to the table. So I remember laying on the floor in the ICU, that tells you the shape that I was in because I'm a, I'm a germaphobe, but laying on the floor in the ICU, I mean, I could have, I was probably licking the floor and don't remember, but just so, so beside myself. And I started writing, probably like Amy did. And I, I would say the journal that you kept during that time is probably some of the most powerful writing that you've ever done. But I started writing and started journaling and started sharing and started really we had so much family back home that were wanted to you know wanting to be updated and we and friends and church family and we couldn't update them all. So I started sharing it on social media against my better judgment. Um, but it was just a way to keep the masses informed. You know, and I go back and I read what I wrote while I was there and it doesn't even sound like me. But I'll tell you this, I followed you and read all that. And it was so powerful. It was so powerful. In your pain as a mother and your, I don't know, to watch you and Ben and, and to see, these were not staged Instagram photos. These were This was you laying in the floor. This was you asleep across his little body in the bed. It was powerful. It really was. Well, maybe you're going to talk about that, but I know you touched people. I know that you had influence that way beyond your family, beyond your church family. Well, this is when I'm trying to keep the waterworks inside. Um, <laughs> but no, you know, when I go back and read that, I often think about my faith. And I was mad at God. I was. Um, you know, I had seen who was my son. You know, I, he even though he's not my, you know, he never came from my body. I, for me, adoption felt just like that. So I'm looking at my son who has had a wretched life for a little boy. I mean, a little, you know, a two-month-old should not have to endure the things that he endured. And so I felt like he came into the world with a, a disadvantage. And so he went through all of this stuff. And then to have this over top of it, I was mad, questioning, and I was frustrated. And I, that would, I think that was probably my initial reaction was just anger. And I, I want to be careful how I say this because I never want to say this was the best thing that ever happened to us. Because it wasn't. But what I saw as a result of this happening to us in our, in our family, in my own personal life, you know, I mean, there's, when you hit rock bottom, um, I think, again, going back to you talking about your darkest days, when you hit rock bottom and there is nowhere else to go but up, that is the biggest perspective changer or the biggest perspective piece that I've ever experienced, you know, I mean, when there is nothing like, you know, there is nothing else that's holding you together. I mean, you have nothing that you can, you know, you have nowhere to go but up. I think about where and how that enabled me to have a complete perspective shift, you know, and I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful for that. Not grateful that this happened, but the lessons that I learned outside of that, and I wrote a blog post shortly after we got home and it was, you know, you know I think I titled it Lessons from the ICU and you know, we saw so much sickness while we were there, so much death. I know Amy's talked about survivor's guilt. We felt guilty walking out of the hospital because we knew that we were leaving kids behind that we'd gotten to know that we're not going to be leaving. And you talk about a major perspective shift. I mean, when we got home, I can remember laying up there in that hospital bed with him and just missing washing my dishes and missing putting my kids to bed, my other two kids to bed. And it was right around the time that they would be going back to school, so I was praying that I would get to be there for the first day. And 
you know, hoping that I can go school shopping with them and all these little things, these minute details in life that we look at as a hassle or a headache or we don't pay attention to. Oh, man, I would have been the luckiest girl in the world. I can remember saying, I want my life back. Yeah. All of it. I just yeah. want my life back. I, mean, I can't I, wait for this to be over. Yes. I mean, I, I, I can remember laying in the bed thinking, my gosh, what it would be like to wash a, wash a sink full of dishes right now and how I wanted to do that. When I think about, you know, getting on the other side of this, I mean, I'm, I'm with Amy in terms of prayer. I mean, I think both of us, my husband and I both, you know, I can remember the, the day that he went back for surgery, I can remember both of us laying on the floor and just there was there were no tears left in our body and just saying, Here I am, Lord, rip me down, tear me apart. What is it that you want from me? You know, and I, I remember we had about an hour and a half wait in surgery, um, while he was in surgery and and they would update us every thirty minutes and we were right across the street from the University Baptist Church. And I was just craving the smell of a, of a church, of a hymnal, of a pew, of something that reminded me of home and reminded me of Jesus, honestly. And so I walked up there in a t-shirt and shorts with like, you know, tears all over me and, and, you know, just slipped in the back of the church and I just sat there and I just, peace in the presence that I had in that church in that moment was probably something similar to what Amy said. Just it, it was just a wash of comfort showing me that, and I know Amy and I, and I have talked about this, if I get to myself for long enough with just me and my crazy mind, I can go in dark places. But when I flush that out, and I talk about this some with some of my friends, even talking about what I surround myself with and the people that I surround myself with. If I surround myself with dark, I feel dark, but if I surround myself with light, I feel light. And so, you know, going to church that morning while he was in surgery, not knowing what the outcome was going to be, and just being able to sing some hymnals and and just being in the house in the presence of of the Lord, and I, I walked back and felt like a different person. And when my when I walked back um, to the hospital, you know, he had came out and and things had went okay. But from that moment. I think it changed my perspective, and I thought while I was there, okay, this is the lot that I've been given, you know, that we've been given as a family right now, so what can I do with that? Well, I can sit here and I can complain about all the things that I'm doing, all the reasons that we're here, all the poor, pitiful me moments, or I can look down the hall and see how good that we actually do have it, and then use this experience to magnify Him, to glorify Him, to to share him, to strengthen myself, to strengthen Ben, to strengthen our relationship, our marriage. I can lose this experience or I can use it. And Mm -hmm. I think walking into that church that morning for whatever reason was just that light switch that I needed to say, okay, I can wallow in it or I can use it. And you you have used it because I know on Instagram you've done fundraisers for other families going through similar things. Mm And so how would you have that testimony and that ability to do good things without that experience? And, you know, I know Amy and I have talked about this, too. I've had people, you know, that will say, you know, gosh, you know, your faith inspired me through that. You know, your faith was so inspiring and encouraging. And you would think, you know, walking out of that, boy, I should just be, you know, at the front of of the church preaching the sermon. But it's a battle. It's a battle every day for me. It's a battle every time I take my kids to the doctor. It's a battle every time somebody's sick for me now. And it is something that I constantly struggle with and something that I have to keep in check. And I know Amy and I have both talked about that. You know, it's a conscientious daily effort for me. I, you know, I don't 
I don't know anything clinical about PTSD, but I think it's probable that you and I both oh, absolutely. experience it because you never, never fully leaves you. Like that fear that your child is going to get sick or the fear that the cancer is going to return or that somebody I care about is going to get it. Right. And we have to give ourselves permission to feel it. And I think you have to respect it. You have to respect it. It has, you know, but not let it have power over right. your life. Right. We don't have time to go into the multiple <laughs> ways that you, you know, the multiple options that there people have. There we go. Have. There's a topic for another day. Right. <laughs> um, and maybe an expert can come in and talk Absolutely. about it. But yeah, and you know, going back to when you said you were mad at God briefly, I was never mad. I said, why are you doing this to me? Right. Did I do? Like I was trying to be a good mother and I was right. trying to be a good wife. Why does this have to happen? My, my kids are so little. Right. Okay. You know, my kids were, I'm trying to remember, five and seven, I think, when this happened. And it was it hurt my feelings, yeah. I guess, yeah. and <laughs> more I, than know, anything. I think, honestly, if you were to characterize my feelings, I think that's probably where I was. I wasn't shaking my fist at I God. I was just like, really? But, really? Right. Really? That, You're going to make me go through this? Scratching my head and frowning would be exactly what I would characterize yeah. my feelings. Again, that's normal. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel normal in the moment. But it's important to talk to people that can give you perspective Absolutely. when you don't have any. Absolutely. And that's why I sought people out for that reason. Well, and, you know, kind of touching on, you know, Amy and I are no experts at how you handle, you know, traumatic events, but I will say what has helped me, and I didn't realize it at the time, but writing helped Mm -hmm. me, and not just, I mean, I I shared on on social media, but I have journals full Mm -hmm. of just my writing, and and you can see where I would write, and you could, my hand, the, the pen would go off the page because I either fell asleep or I just was crying and I couldn't do it anymore. But that helped, and and more than anything, it's a, it's a blessing now because I'm able to go back and look at all those things that I wrote and think, boy, I did not think we were gonna make it out of there that day. That I can pinpoint the lowest day that I had, and you know, I think that now looking back, that's that's just further testimony of, of how you know of how much he he was there and how he never left, and and how you know that was kind of a reminder of of kind of trudging through when it doesn't feel like you want to do that. Yeah, writing is therapy. It is. Writing is therapy. It is. And I would also say, you know, I mentioned writing, but I would also say, as Amy said, just talking to people. Um, I've become much more of an open book, I think, after that happened because I noticed when I kept it inside that it was, Mm -hmm. sometimes I need people to laugh at me. I need you to tell you how crazy I am and how silly I sound. And I want you to, to, I need you to say, yeah, Brittany, you are crazy. And just to reassure me of that. And sometimes it's just nice to have someone that can listen and that can just be a voice of reason because I think, as we've said, there can be so much that get, gets caught up in your mind that you lose some of that voice of reason. Yeah. And, you know, there's never a shortage of people who need the benefit of your experience. Mm-hmm. Since then, if I know a friend or an acquaintance has cancer, mm-hmm. you know, I try to reach out. Mm-hmm. I try to do something yeah. to let them know, hey, I'm here because mm-hmm. somebody did that for me. Exactly. And it made all the difference in the world. When I was in it, I mm-hmm. retreated. I wish I hadn't done that. Like, I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to help me. Brian and I both responded that way. We, we'll handle it ourselves. We'll handle it privately. Yeah. And I get why people do that. I, I, I guess I just didn't want to have any perception that anything was wrong or that, you know, we weren't the perfect family or, you know, and that's ridiculous. You need help. You need to accept help. And and I think our words to anybody who's going through something, everybody's going through something, Mm -hmm. whether it's, whether it can be described as traumatic or mild, everybody's going through something. So I hope that something we've said 
today. Helps. I think so. I think so. I and mean, I'm kind of convinced that our unscripted talks might be the best now. <laughs> because yeah. it is not only therapeutic for me, but it's been something that's been helpful for me to talk not only to, you know, other people, but just connecting even with Amy and, and knowing that she's gone through something though different but very similar mm-hmm. in how, how we handled it and you know how much of a blow, I guess you could say it was, um, to our family. And I'll say one more thing and the name is escaping me right now. Um, we were reading about her in our Sunday school class and I followed her on, on social media for years. Hope Heals is the name of her book. So she had a stroke when she was in her late 20s and her husband, um, she was pregnant, she was pregnant and she had her son and then six months later she had a massive stroke and so she's you know lived her life as a, a victim of a stroke and has the physical limitations now and her story is incredible it's absolutely incredible but in a video I watched of her she talked about how we all have invisible wheelchairs she said don't look at me because you think I have you know I'm sad I have a disability and um, we all have a disability in some way it's an invisible wheelchair that we have whether it's you know that you suffer from crippling anxiety or you suffer from actual physical ailments or broken relationships or divorce or um, loneliness or whatever like there's so much everybody is going through something and I think hearing that perspective is a reminder of everyone needs that extra help everyone Mm -hmm. needs that yeah and we were talking before too about how what you experience in your mind has physiological effects on your body and and it can really bring you down really fast when you can't eat absolutely and when you can't function you can't think you can't focus yeah a lot a lot of this happens in our minds absolutely. and um and that's why i think perspective is the most important thing to seek absolutely um, and her name was her name was Catherine wolf I oh knew okay. it was, i knew it was escaping me but Catherine wolf so if you don't follow her if you've never checked her out her story is worth the read i guess kind of their tagline is that they're disrupting the myth that joy can only be found in a pain-free life. So, I mean, she's she is the epitome of someone who's taken a horrible situation and turned it around for, for the benefit of of not only her family but for thousands of people around the world. So, just very interesting and something that, again, I think we can all relate to. There's there's all kinds of invisible wheelchairs mm-hmm. that we have. So, That's good advice. I hope you've taken something from our rambling today. Um, I hope it's been beneficial. I hope you have. If nothing else, just got the feeling that you're not alone in whatever that you're suffering in, that it doesn't matter, you know, how put together someone would appear. I mean, I think of Amy as like, you know, that's who I want to be when I grow up. And I think of her as just the epitome of the of the kind of woman that I want to be. And so you look at her and you, if you didn't know her, you'd never known she'd gone through that. And so I think, I think just knowing that everybody, everybody has something that they're going through and there's strength in prayer, there's strength in writing, there's strength in talking, talking, supporting, um, listening, listening. all those things I think are so important. So maybe one day we'll get like a, you know, a genius um, psychologist in here that will tell us exactly how to handle it. But for right now, we're telling you what, what we were, what yeah. we did. And so we hope you'll listen to this as many times as you need to. Well, thank you for joining us today. We hope you'll join us for episode five. That's what we believe. We'll see you soon.